How you doing? It's Yannick Guzdala. It's the Yannick Guzdala podcast. What's happening? Let's get straight to it. I always leave this way too late on a Saturday to record and find myself heading to bed at one in the morning having done all the work for this. So daughter's in bed. Everything is at peace. Got really cold again in California out of nowhere. So hoodie and beanie time. But let's get to it. First things first, um, going to talk a lot about giant steps in this episode. So if you're into chord changes and walking bass lines and not necessarily using giant steps to be better at playing giant steps, but using giant steps as the exercise, I believe it was written as by John Coltrane uh, to navigate not only his set of his variation on a 251, but also just jazz harmony in general. I'm working on a book and I'm just it's all fresh in my brain right now. I'm writing a book on the entire process of sort of what you can get from it, how to obviously how to play it, how to walk bass lines over it, how to develop ideas, be rhythmic, be melodic, you, know, you work on your time and sound and everything, but how you can take a song like that, beginner or pro, no matter where you're at on the spectrum of, of your playing, your ability level, and really leverage it to your advantage through all walks of music. Um, that could be that could be metal, that could be rock, that could be R&B. There's so many things that I've been able to relate to this song, which is sort of often heralded as the sort of holy grail of playing jazz and being able to play changes and that stuff. I think that's all a bit of a myth and shouldn't come with such a stigma. I think it should be actually far easier to understand and, and way more accessible than people perhaps give it credit for. So I'm going to kind of unveil, like demystify that, if you will. That's the idea of the book. It's going to be etudes and whatever. We'll get into that later. I want to start out with saying, uh, talking about uh, two really important things. Uh, number one is we're really crushing the uh, the goals on the podcast channel. We're getting way up there in terms of watch hours, in terms of subscribers. Really appreciate you all. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribing and liking and leaving comments, bunch of comments from last week. Awesome questions. Really very much appreciate that. It was great to answer some of them. Great to read your comments. Some really good suggestions about videos for the main channel as well. So please keep those coming. I'm always... I'm always, I'm just, all I spend my day doing is, is thinking about that and writing down ideas and adding to my little, my little note, um, notepad of, of things that I want to do on the main channel that really interest me. And maybe on the surface seem a little like clickbaity and, and stupid, but actually there's, can be some really cool depth to get into in a lot of these ideas. So keep them coming. Really appreciate that. Uh, to, to give you an example, someone was saying after the m- most recent pedals versus multi-effects, for instance, hey, maybe you could do what's the best rig under $1,000? Like in a bass, an amp, and some sort of effect situation for under $1,000. That's a challenge. Uh, I'd actually quite like to do that and highlight how much of your sound is you as opposed to the gear. It's really nice to have nice gear, but I'd love to highlight how much of the sound is you and really try and get a good sound out of something super super cheap so that's kind of percolating right now as an idea so stuff like that or pretty much anything you can think of throw it in the comments below if you're watching on youtube and if you're not if you're listening on spotify or apple Podcasts, come over to youtube check it out we've got hd video and the ability to uh, get a comment or question in i'll answer every question that's posted within the first 48 hours of this podcast episode going live on youtube and i'll read all your comments as well um so yeah that's going great and also the main channel is really is really motoring but we got to step on the gas if we're going to meet this goal of a hundred thousand subs by april that's the big one um this is the commercial this is the advertisement for the goal right now and i'm sort of really cranking behind the scenes here in terms of setting you're really setting events for each goal 
that I that I lay out along the path of growing the community. And it's been really interesting. I started to talk about it last week and I said I had this meeting with a huge promoter in London that does, you know, sort of Wembley Stadium and you know, bands like U2 and the, the Rolling Stones, like just massive, 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 way out of my league, just happens to be a friend of mine and was kind enough to give me some advice. And I'd mentioned to you guys on the podcast, the Royal Albert Hall as being a very prestigious location and hey, what a venue it might be to do a million subscriber kind of goal concert or maybe half a million maybe 250,000 who knows that is all sort of going on behind the scenes I didn't really get into that so much I just briefly mentioned that I had this meeting um, what I wanted to say was that the Royal Albert Hall is actually really possible from a financial standpoint it doesn't actually bankrupt you as long as you're sure you can sell a bunch of tickets because it's not hundreds of thousands of dollars even though like people with that kind of money like you think about eric clapton being a bajillionaire playing there you think oh well if eric clapton can do it it's probably way out of everyone else's league actually not there were a a bunch of fascinating um elements to what it takes to book a gig there and all the rules and regulations and it's just a room there's no sound system no lights you really have to rent everything in you need a medic you need staff you need this that and the other all kind of rules if you don't take an intermission they charge you money they really want to sell booze on the interval whatever they're just really a lot of things, um, some of which I knew, some of which were absolute news to me. Um, and the upshot of it was um, like the recommendation of my friend was that it, it, although it's doable financially and it's not the most outrageous idea to have. And I did preface the meeting by that. I said, look, tell me to go F myself and not darken your door ever again and tell me this is a really stupid idea if, if, if it is. You know, I wanted my friend to be really honest with me. Um, and thankfully... I trust them. Uh, and and, and the, the, the reaction was like, well, actually, it's not a dumb idea. Financially speaking, it won't like end you as long as you can sell tickets. But the one thing standing in my way and not I'm sure it's not just me. I'm sure a lot of people want to play there. Um, my friend mentioned they were trying to book a, a gig there for a very, very famous, like legendary artist. And we're running into this same problem and it's availability. And COVID kind of, as we all know, um, obliterated two and a half years of touring so not only is there massive demand um that demand is being squeezed into quite a short period of time right now in terms of making up a lot of dates and a lot of people wanting to go back to touring and the royal albert hall is a prestigious venue and a lot of people do want to play there so as much as it was financially possible and not a crazy idea in that sense my friend told me that maybe i want to think about something else um that isn't as difficult to get into from a scheduling standpoint And it's not like I could say, hey, well, I'm not really making it to a million followers like next week. So let's put this in three years in advance. Another very interesting element to that is how far in advance they schedule. They actually like them, like a lot of venues, won't actually schedule three years in advance. They'll just open up their diary at a certain point and book a bunch of shows. And I guess if you're not, you know, Eminem or Eric Clapton or something or whoever, it's it's kind of tough to get a date there. So that was the upshot of that meeting, as well as a bunch of other great information, suggestions of other venues. I, I would quite like to do the first big celebratory concert uh, in my hometown, um, but I would like this to be a thing. The whole point of wanting to grow the YouTube channel and asking you guys to like and comment and subscribe and grow this community and smash the algorithm over the head to our favor here. And I say our favor. That's a really key point of it. It's I'm not asking you to do this so I make ad revenue and, and bring in like supplementary income on the back on the back end. I actually did. Um, I was on the Scott's Bass Lessons podcast. Uh, we taped it a few days ago. We talked a bunch about YouTube actually and 
I did actually say on that was like, I got to be very clear. Money will come from that. It is inevitable that with hundreds of thousands of subscribers, there will be ad revenue that comes from it. Uh, but my goal with that is just like I've, I've talked a little bit about and I've done a lot of research into people like Mr. Beast and the big YouTube channels is that the most successful ones and the ones who grow a community to do other stuff like Mr. Beast has his whole philanthropy side and save the seas and save the trees and all this kind of stuff. They reinvest the money that they make from ad revenue back into the channel. So that's kind of my intention with that. And if I need to, um, put on a crazy concert as a goal, then of course the, any ad revenue and money will help do that and will help facilitate things like lighting and sound and cameras and paying the band and all that kind of stuff. So it's really about growing the community. Um, and what I want to do is keep setting subscriber number goals and putting on concerts all around the world. Um, I would love the goals to be a little bit closer together so we could do like five or six concerts, big concerts a year, and maybe have those concerts in a different city. Like I said, I want to start with London because it's my hometown and there are a couple of legendary venues there that I haven't played as a band leader and would like to. Um, and it's a, a familiar place. I know I have a lot of fans in the UK, uh, so, so that's always a good place to start where you know you have a great crowd. I always have an amazing time playing there. So uh, a lot of um, there are a lot of reasons for doing the first goal-driven uh, celebratory concert in my hometown, my family, of course, as well. So, but that's really just the beginning, and depending on how we go in the next few months, um, really depends on how many of those goals I can set and how many cities I can expand that to. And if those are spread out a few months apart, it really means I can sort of aim for a big concert in a city at the end of a tour. So we do maybe a week or 10 days of smaller shows and ramp it up into this big, big kind of celebratory concert. First of all, in London, then why not Paris and Rome and Tokyo and New York? And hey, even in Los Angeles, what do you know? It really, it could be anywhere. And the louder you scream for your location, the more chance there is of that happening. And the more people you introduce to the channel and get to subscribe and the more real data I have to go on, the better. There's like so much of that is really important, like the feedback I get from the analytics. So that's, that's my continual big pitch and reason for ditching all other social media and just concentrating on long form content on uh, long form filmmaking essentially and storytelling on youtube as well as the Substack as well the blog has been going great so thanks for everyone who's on that it's free of course if you're not on that you can it's a link in the description below it's just yanagwasdala.substack.com i tend to get into a little more detail on that um and post like you know, audio clips and stuff that you can download and little uh, sheet music and all kinds of little things uh, it's totally free so drop your email in there that's always good to be in touch and the more that list grows like that is unbelievably good because that's really instant the feedback from a mailing list the mailing list is so powerful for me as an independent artist so i'm always going to keep you abreast of that and explain what's going on and let you know all the developments as they as and when they happen and i after last week's episode i just realized i hadn't gotten into the into the weeds as much as i'd have liked on that meeting with the promoter so talked about maybe the london palladium it's about a 2200 cap it's a beautiful room um but of course i'd also like to record this and make a live album of it and make a documentary about the process it's really nice to bring you guys inside inside the process and behind the scenes so 
We're also looking at, you know, what room sounds good as well. Um, I quite like the, the Queen Elizabeth Hall at the South Bank, for instance. And maybe if we take a smaller venue, which is 900 seats, maybe we do two nights in a row. That could be really fun. There are really so many options on the roll right now, but it's all dependent on growing that main channel, hitting 100,000 subscribers by April, and then heading onwards to these other goals to just really ramp up the touring. It's the only reason I'm doing it is to get out there and play music. I don't care about Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or Twitter or any of that short-term uh, so, sort of transient bullshit. I care about um, sharing what I do with you in person. So that's, that's that. Um, let's start sharing some giant steps, shall we? And just... I'm just kind of in this mode of compartmentalizing it a little bit because there are so many elements of giant steps as a, and really I want to think about it as an exercise rather than as a song or a tune. Um, maybe you've played it a lot. Maybe you're in that position or maybe you're a bit anxious about playing it because it looks complicated and you might not have the, the access point to it yet. But wherever you're coming at it from, if you take it off the table as a tune, as a song, as a, as something with, with stigma attached and with like way too much intensity or expectation attached to it or high tempo this or, you know, angular complex changes playing that. If you take all that away from it and break it down, to be an exercise, suddenly, first of all, it becomes a lot more enjoyable to insert into your routine. And when you realize it's really, you know, quote unquote, just two five ones, just like most of the great American songbook in terms of jazz standards, it definitely becomes way more accessible, way quicker. And th there are things from from my previous books, from obviously from Jazz Vocabulary 251 and from really from all, all the good stuff, all the better stuff, a bunch of my books that you can apply to it immediately already. And it's something I've been using as a framework for those ideas. Um, you may or may not have heard this shape before. I use it a lot in my practice routine as a warm-up exercise and it's a 2-5 shape. I guess I'll apologize to all the people that know this one inside out already and welcome in the people that don't and explain it very quickly. So if you're playing a standard four-string bass, standard tune four-string bass, up on your 12th fret, the G, we're basically going to descend uh, a two chord and ascend a five chord. So we descend from G to E flat to C to B flat. So this basically outlines... C minor 7, which is our 2 chord in the key of B flat. And then we go to F7. Uh, and we play A, C, E flat, and G. So we get our 3rd, 5th, flat 7, and 9. And that's all it is. And as an exercise, I'd like to move it up and down in half steps sometimes. And of course, ascending as well. This isn't really le uh, this isn't really a lesson, so I'm going to kind of blast through it a little bit. Feel free to pause and rewind and go back over it. I just want to highlight the access points. This is what I'll get. This is what the book is for. The book is to get into way more depth and take it way slower and pace it and have that nice arc from start to finish. And of course, I'm not going to start with linear ideas like that in the book. The book is really. Um, really tuned in at the beginning to walking and to just understanding as a bass player the fundamentals of giant steps and being able to walk into mm -hmm. 
terrible. <laughs> it was so bad. I hate whenever Pete knows. Anyway, so basically being able to walk in two, expanding to walking in four, um, expanding to rootless walking where you're targeting maybe the third or the fifth as an exercise on each chord. So I'm going to put a bunch of that stuff in there so there is a great foundation just from a bass player standpoint. Um, but then when you break it down and you get, you know, past, when you get, the, the, I kind of think of it in two different uh, two different halves. So, so the first half being trains i haven't tuned this bass in like about a year it feels like um i think about the coltrane changes quote-unquote element in the beginning where he's getting from b major to e flat through b b major to and this is a d7 to a five uh, which is a five of g and then b flat which is the five of e flat so we get from we get from b to e flat like that um it's all a series of five to one basically and then you do that in g we're starting on g rather so g and then b flat seven to e flat so five to one and then f sharp seven which is another five to one and then a two five one two five one two five one two five it's just two five two five two five two five one all around in the second half and as an access point to that, when you have a shape like the one I showed you first, when you have that under your fingers, something that you might want to insert into your practice routine, use it as a warm-up, make sure you work it all around the neck. Don't just work it in half steps, maybe work it in whole steps. Maybe not the most musical thing, but that motion is going to be super useful to be able to drop down a whole step to the next starting point. Because guess what? When you're playing over a two, F minor seven to a five, the B flat seven to the one to the E flat, and you use that shape and you drop down a whole step instead of the half step that I normally use in the exercise, that that point, that point where maybe in an exercise, in a sequential thing, you're starting the shape again. Instead of that, use that as a resolution point. So you just play two, five, one. And suddenly, when you move down a whole step from the start of the pattern, you're on the fifth of the one chord. So it's a great thing to be able to move through giant steps, of which there are three main key centers, E flat, G, and B, again, if this is going too fast, just uh, just pause and rewind. But I just kind of want to give an overview of how I'm trying to give access to this and the fact that you can use this really simple 2-5. Now we just give it a resolution to 1. That's an E flat. The next key center is G. So you do the same thing in G. And the next key center is B flat. So you do the same thing. Um, uh, sorry not B flat it's B my dyslexia kicking in there so you do the same thing so basically you do, you do, the exercise becomes that shape but in three different keys rather than half steps and whole steps and minor thirds you're using giant steps as the framework and then giant steps becomes this really useful tool for learning your fingerboard for being able to hear uh, key center shifts for just basic 
understanding and muscle memory for the most fundamental elements of jazz harmony. Um, and of course, giant steps isn't the only thing you can do this with. You can literally do it with any tune ever. I, I dare say there are like 20 tunes in the pop charts right now that you could probably do it with as well. But giant steps moves you around a bit. I think it, it's using that. Take, like I said before, taking the, the fact that it's a tune, a commonly played tune off the table and not using it in your practice routine to just become better at playing giant steps, taking that out of the equation, I think eventually, of course, it helps you play the tune uh, for sure. But because you're worried less about that, you're really working more on the foundation of jazz rather than this one tune and you're really expanding your vocabulary rather than having this singular goal of this sort of legendary tune that comes with all this baggage you know that comes with all these expectations and like i said a little bit of stigma attached to it and it's a you know a bit of a pissing contest at a jam session and who can play it the fastest and holy shit if you're the bass player and there are 12 horn players that all want to play on it and they all want to play 50 choruses oh that gets real old real quick um so if any of you have ever been in that jam session situation as a house bass player backing up the line of horn players waiting to get on stage you know exactly what i'm talking about if you haven't if you are miraculously a horn player listening to this just play short solos at jam sessions (laughs) i actually recommend most people not going to jam sessions to be honest um but yeah i'm sure i'm sure there are some people out there that understand the woes of playing a tune like this over and over again so that that can kind of take the joy out of it a little bit and I was thinking that for the longest time. That's why the idea of the book came up. That's the, how the books normally come about. It's like, oh, I found something and, okay, I found something new, but quite often it's that. I found something new and it brings me joy. So I want to write about it and put it into the form of a book and share it. Or some of the books, obviously those are things I've been playing for and using in my routine and in my playing and my vocabulary for over 25 years, some of those things. So I, I get to a point where I find a new way and a refreshing way to frame it. And that's the moment when it's the right time to put it into a book. So that's what happened with Giant Steps the past few months. I've actually been using it in my practice routine. And uh, it's been really beneficial to a bunch of other stuff. I'm... I can't... Oh, I just spilled water everywhere. Damn it. Um, okay, at least it didn't go on the base or the... Or the helix control. Okay, everything, <laughs> everything survived. Um, yeah, I can't actually tell you this thing. I just did a recording session recently, which I'm not. I can't tell you what it is, unfortunately. But it was, um, it was super fun and completely not giant steps. If you can think of the most straight up the middle pop uh, in the pocket, you know, just strip away as many notes from your part as you possibly can and serve the song like one of those kind of sessions but there were moments in it where i I was totally drawing upon stuff i'd worked on in my practice routine on giant steps there's you know one of the things i like about the discipline about moving through those three key centers of um of e flat and uh g and b And of course, they're associated two fives. Um, Where's the other one here? Um, The discipline that gives you and the amount of 
sort of single ideas you can take in a 251, like the amount of uh, 251 shapes. So maybe we take... It's actually too long because uh, the harmonic rhythm is moving by way quicker. It's two chords. Uh, the two and the five are two chords in one bar and the one is one bar on its own. So, so it's one... Two, uh, two, three, four, two, five, one, two, five, one, two, five. So that's the harmonic rhythm. Two, five, one. Ah, see. <laughs> of course, I use that idea to get to B, to get to the E flat, and I'm like, okay, let me make an example of that for the video for the podcast. And I was thinking too much, and I got away from my flow and into thinking. And that's a great example of why you shouldn't be thinking when you play. That is what disconnects you immediately. I was totally in super flow mode and was feeling great and playing great. And then as soon as I started to think about what it was I wanted to do, that was it. Train fell off the rails. Um, to explain it, to break it down, what I want to show you is playing through that first um, first first half of the tune. So I basically use the same idea every time for the two five. You got to navigate. You got to navigate octaves, and then you get to sort of connective material. Are you going to descend each time? So is it going to sound like this? Or do you feel like, ah, maybe that last one would have sounded nicer up the octave, so you need a connective thing to get up instead of going down. So you start here. You go go down the first time. Um, Sorry, I got way into it there. I was right in the middle of explaining what I was doing. So I was coming down the first time. And then to the next one, to G. So instead of going down and resolving to the fifth, which puts me in this range where it's I can't get to the fifth of the two, which is what I need to play the same shape, which is here. I can't get to it up the octave. It sounds like too much of a jump. Like, listen to this. Like, this is too jarring to me. So... I don't like that big jump from here up that tritone. I don't think that sounds very uh, connected at all. So maybe I'll go down first time. And then have this do 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 di like this ascending line to help get me up to that uh, that G sharp without it being too jarring, without it kind of like voice leading, but with your linear ideas. You know, when you play when you play chords, you don't really want to play. 
there's a there's a big jump unless there's a connector like that unless you play a melody fragment uh, you know that works but if you're just playing donk 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 you know that's not a, not the greatest voice leading i've ever heard so I, I feel the same way when I'm trying to make things connect, especially key centers that are a little bit farther apart like that, like the, the E flat, the G and the B. They're all based on a, on the, um, on the augmented triad, right? So E flat, G, B, and then we get to E flat before we go back to. And that's another thing as well. Like it doesn't, you know, that was a pretty simple example. So basically, uh, what I'm trying to do is make an example of, um, and I'm not sure how many exactly I'm going to put in the book, but definitely uh, probably a half a dozen or a dozen two five one shapes, but moving them through the framework of giant steps. So just on the second half of the tune, which is this, um, we hit that E flat. So we could have... Let's see. We're trying to get back to that B. So that's one shape. And just to be able to make that same shape in all three key sing to uh, three key centers and suddenly you've got a way to move through half of giant steps like that now also there's no real context here the only context you have for the harmonic rhythm and the melody it are, are my lines so to me, I, I hear the tune. I've, I've played the tune for almost 30 years. Um, I'm pretty in control of the harmony, the melody, of all the inner moving parts, potentially of chords. That's just the experience and, and repetition. So I hear that in my brain. Um, the, the good part about starting off walking that stuff is if you practice, like if you really do the work and work on the front end of the book and not just, not just jump to the licks. Um, the good thing about having this foundation and just being able to walk in two through the whole tune. Different ranges as well. well I'm talking talking way too much when I play. <laughs> Just to be able to sit there and do that and walk kind of all over the instrument. I'd, I'd set myself a range. Maybe you're not walking 
up in this range so much of the time. Um, and also you might want to set yourself the goal of being able to walk without moving more than two frets in, in one direction. So can you get through the whole tune? Without really... You see, if you're watching on, the, on, on YouTube, my left hand is really not moving at all. You know, that I can get through the whole tune, maybe staying in, staying in one position, maybe a little bit of a tough one just because it moves key center so much. But I really only moved one fret in terms of my left hand position while I was walking there. So definitely that, that's going to be a great way to start out the book and really test yourself. And we all, I think, give ourselves way too much credit for how we can do something uh, than we perhaps should. We, I think we, we say, oh yeah, giant steps, no problem, I can walk in that. But do you, like, do you have more than one or two choruses of baseline? Or are you just repeating the same thing over and over and over again? You know, are you relaxed enough and laid back on the changes? And you can just insert any tune here. It doesn't have to be giant steps. Can you do that with Have You Met Miss Jones? Can you do that with, you know, um, The Night Has a Thousand Eyes or I Love You or like any of the Cole Porter songbook, for instance. What is this thing called? Love? Can you really improvise from a bass player's standpoint with your walking lines and not be really playing like, you know, I hear especially electric bass players because we don't walk as much, I guess, or maybe we don't come from that lineage or heritage or that's not on our radar as much as an upright player to be checking out ray brown and leroy vinegar and paul chambers and modern guys like christian mcbride and reuben rogers and larry grenadier and the, the real old cats like jimmy blanton and slam stewart and, and oscar pettiford and, and those cats like that's maybe not on every up every electric bass player's radar right away um so perhaps you can you can really get through a pop tune and you have like a, almost an unlimited James Jameson vocabulary or Bob Babbitt or, you know, Carol Kay or, you know, in, in my case, I checked out so much Michelle and David Cello. I, I could play like her in the style of her without repeating stuff for quite some time, you know. So maybe we have more of that as electric bass players in our arsenal. So really ask yourself, if you're interested, of course, of course, you've got to be honest about the goal. Do you really want to play any of this music? Is jazz vocabulary and harmony and melody and everything that goes with that, is that of interest to you? Um, but if the answer is yes, then really like ask yourself, police yourself, say like, okay, how, how good am I at this? That's something I'm doing. Like, I'm not saying like, hey, me, Mr. Yannick was all I can do this and you fuckers should get your shit together. No, this is, I'm telling you, this is what I say to myself every day like how good am i at this and where can i make improvements like i've like i'm the first person to admit fault and failure and and that to me that's the greatest thing because that's when you really making progress so this is not me saying i'm good at this and maybe you should ask yourself whether you are or not no absolutely not this is me and my process and maybe it applies to you i'm just throwing it out there as an idea um, and I definitely ask myself, like, okay, um, yeah, okay, for, for in the case of Giant Steps, like, how well can I walk over it without repeating myself all the time, you know, and how how much tension and release can I, uh, am I in control of, you know, where it's like this, uh, it's a busy tune, you know, how many substitutions and rootless uh, target notes can I hit, you know, as an exercise. Like I said, in the book, I'm going to highlight stuff. 
you know, like targeting the third on the one of the two five, for instance, on, on the one of the two five one. It's just little exercises like that, but doing it through a set of changes rather than just doing it in one key over and over. That really starts to open up your flexibility. And of course, that most importantly, that opens up your ear and the repetition of that opens up multiple keys, hopefully all keys equally as comfortably and the entire neck of the instrument, the entire range of the instrument, no matter how you have it strung, hopefully that is opening your ability, you know, just way more. That's always the goal of these books and basically of any part of my process that I share, whether it's in a book or at the bass studio or Substack or wherever, YouTube, <laughs> here we are on YouTube for the most part. Um, that's always the fundamental aspect of it. That's what always, what motivates me to share any of this stuff. It's like, Hey, this is what it's going to do for you. As long as the the answer is, hey, I want to do this and I'm interested and I care and um, this is something I, I want to dedicate time to, whether that's hours and hours every day or whether that's 10 or 15 minutes, doesn't matter. If the answer is, yes, I want to do this, you can participate on basically any level. Uh, that's, uh, that's why I think I'm kind of psyched about the prospect of having a book out there that is based around giant steps but includes everyone. Like there should be no one that that can't get into it once you break it down and, and, and let people know that it's not really that daunting and it's just 12 notes and uh, and you're totally capable of doing it just if you do the little bit of foundation work first. Um, so it's kind of nice to have something that most people think is really daunting and turn that into something that can be really second nature. Like I hear the form of giant steps just the same as I do, as naturally as I do rather, a 12-bar a blues. You know, literally a three chord blue rock blues, you know, junk, 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 that kind of thing. F, B flat and C or rather E, A and B guitar players. Yay. Um, I hear it just as naturally as a blues now. And that's yeah, a little on the psychotic side of repetition. And I've spent a lot of time doing it and I really love that music. So, okay. Um, but it shouldn't exclude anyone. And when we, and when you have access to a bunch of ideas, I mean, I'm obviously giving ideas in the book and those ideas, but those ideas, it's so important to know where those ideas came from for me. And they, of course, came from transcription. So the more you can be creating ideas for yourself, I think the book will be actually great without any of my specific note choices the framework will still be applicable and you can just insert once you get bored of, of my lines which you probably are already um you can just go out and transcribe from anyone you want and insert that into the framework of the two fives of giant steps and uh, work your way through it and then i, I really want to i've never really done a book of of etudes so this started out as like going to be okay it's basically going to be etudes but i want there to be some sort of basic technical information about how to use the ideas and move it through the harmony as well. I don't want it just to be like 20 standalone things with no explanation. So um, I think the etude uh, department is nice to write over. Let's see, I'm having this, I've been writing ideas down um, and playing them over and over and over. It's not something I would do normally for this purpose, but because I want them written down, it's more of a composition in a certain sense when you get into that writing kind of etudes things, etude things um, over a song like this. And just to have 
basically be able to do the same thing twice in different keys over the beginning of the tune. So, uh, so that's like that's kind of the basic idea. Um, and then you do it. You do it again, uh, starting on G. So B. Uh, oh, wow. And then you've got the, you could use the, and you could use your little 2 5 idea to get to the next key center, which starts in G but is heading towards B. Ah. I like this delayed thing as one, two, three, four, so. And I, I, it's so hard to get away from that train. So there are elements because I just because I've listened to that record. Well, I mean, well, I was going to say hundreds, but it's well over a thousand times, um, and transcribed and played that solo many, many times. Um, there are definitely train isms that come out, and Michael Brecker isms, and like all the people I've transcribed playing that tune. And um, I'm working on a list of of solos and a list of uh, versions of it to include in the book which I think is always a good reference point. I love to do that in the books. Like, hey, you know what? This I, this isn't just fall out of... Thi- I didn't create all of this out of thin air. All of this started, you know, maybe I've developed some of those ideas conceptually a little further from the place I first heard them, but I first heard them somewhere. Like, I, I didn't invent any of this. Um, but it's, I think, is a great way to demonstrate how... Yeah, Coltrane wrote it and came up with it, and then all these other people uh, grabbed hold of it and did their own version of it. And I listened to as many of those as I possibly could and sort of do my own version of it. And and lo and behold, I'm working on Giant Steps and I'm playing these sort of angular 251 ideas. And I am get to this like studio, this recording thing, straight up the middle pop. And there's just this one shape of a sixth that had really been a part of... Um, that that two five one idea. This one it. So if I'm um, that five one. So that's between my second and my third finger, descending sixth, and. Uh, there was some line like that in it that doesn't sound very straight up pop but it was some like sort of out of the ordinary chord change which involved that shape and it was like, oh i've been working on that and i've actually been doing that on giant steps and now it's so not that a sixth the interval of a sixth is something weird to any of us i'm sure but just the it was a thing about the feel and the time and the sound and the context which was so similar for me in my own little weird world in a pop tune as well as it was in the, in giant steps that I had a nice little smile to myself. Oh, you know, giant steps isn't all about playing giant steps. It really is kind of all encompassing. 
And I think that just goes to show everything can be all encompassing if you're approaching it from with, with the right intent, you know, with the right goals for you in mind and then the right intent in order to reach those goals. And normally for me, and I'm pretty sure most people, uh, once they reach that place of like it providing you joy and you're happy when you play and you're free when you play and you're honest when you play, that is when you have good control of time and sound. Um, and there's just no substitute for that at all. So really doesn't matter what is going on um, and what uh, what the style of music is. Just as long as your intent is good. Um, I should probably play a little more. That's good. I, I like... <laughs> It's also very um, useful to talk about this, to talk it all out. And um, I'm, I'm no doubt I will uncover things from listening back to this. And uh, every time I work on it, something slightly new comes up and it develops. It's crazy to the point where, yeah, every time I play it, something new comes up and the book could be like 900 pages long because there are so many variations on these micro themes um, that I'm putting in there. So half the battle is actually the editing out of, you know, I, I don't want to put all the ideas in your head. I want you to have some of them for yourself. You know, I should keep some for me and you should insert some for yourself. And as long as I give you a solid framework and enough material to start with on the idea, that should set you on the right path um, to be able to use some a book like this to to really get some mileage out of. And teach yourself about your learning process. I think that's probably... The, the underlying message of it all is like all of this should be informing your learning process. And as much as you might be able to learn from mine and I don't mind sharing mine and I always, you know, say it with the caveat that like this is what works for me. Um, it will not necessarily work for you because everyone is different. So, yeah, um, it ne <laughs> it never stops. And I guess you want to have control of like setting yourself the parameter of okay, I'm on the first time I go to E flat, like in bar nine, I'm going to use that idea. And when I go to G, which is the next two five. I'm going to use that idea. And then when I go to B, I'm going to use that idea. And then when I go to E flat the last time, I'm going to use that. And then go back to train. And eventually, I think that's what it translates into. It means you can have complete control to go rhythmically wherever you want still within the context of the chords like outlining all of those chord tones and, and, and melody notes and just really being able to play the harmony effortlessly means you'll get to um, an original way to express yourself eloquently way quicker um, I think that's always that's always what I've wanted no matter you know no matter what the style or whatever it is I'm playing I've always wanted complete freedom to do what I want. And I, I started there, right? I started doing um, uh, 
And I'm moving through the changes. That's it. Two notes each time. One, two, two, three, four. Totally static. But because I'm kind of moving the time here and there, it's not just da that right on the on the bar line. I'm being sort of economical with the with the grid a little bit. One, two, oh, two, three, two. Now, already I've changed. I already I moved to the next sort of idea. Um, but that's the thing. Really the only two things, and I've talked about this a little bit before, really the only two things I'm ever conscious of when I play are repetition or change. That's something I got from Hal Crook. It's like... Have you been on this idea too long? All right, change this shit up. Like, get out of this thing. It's, you've milked it for what it's worth. Um, you know, or have you been, like, moving all over the place way too much? Okay, let's go to some repetition here. Let's let's put the change aside for a second and uh, let's stick on an idea and try and milk it a little bit. You know, so there's, those are the kind of the two two sides of the coin for me, the only two things that really enter my process consciously when I play. It's not chords, harmony, notes, chord tones, there's tension, nothing. Zero about harmony when I play. Nothing at all. That's a whole... It's like a... I kind of see this huge white... Uh, white room that you don't know where the perimeter is. It's like an endless white room of blankness. You know it's a room. Like this is just a weird picture I have when I like I close my eyes a lot when I play. I don't look at the instrument very much. Like people call it like being in the zone or in flow state, or whatever you want to call it. I'm just like in the in the moment and listening. You know, really close my eyes, like shut down that sense and put a little more emphasis maybe on the ears, so I have less distractions. And I I experience this like huge endless white room that like i said you know you're indoors but you can't see any end you can you see this like i i i experience this slight curvature which is the thing that gives me like a drop shadow somewhere so it gives me some sense of shape in the room but it's completely endless and totally blank like it could just i could keep walking for all eternity and never find a way out that's the that's the experience I have when I close my eyes and when I'm improvising, and the only the only thing, like I said, that comes across my consciousness is like, oh, the, this idea is like, we're done with this now, let's change, or, whoa, can you please pick something <laughs> and stick with it for a minute? And it's not like there's a set amount of time that either of those things happen. Uh, especially if you're obviously playing with other people, they Im- they influence that in a big way. So, um, as much as I'm not conscious about my note choice and about theory or any of that side of things, um, m- my ears are. I don't really think about it in real time. Like when I hear the drums or the keyboards or something, I, I react to it 
naturally now. I think that's, that's something developed over time. I know that wasn't the case 25 years ago when I was v- very new to this thing. Um, and I think I, I just because of, just because through experience, I understand what's going on more. And I have a really good library of memories and sense memories about certain elements of music um so on the one hand it's like a little bit tougher to surprise an older musician i guess um but that's but but at the same time when i am surprised and thankfully with my trio that is a lot because they are spectacular musicians um when i am surprised i'm not put off um and i'm not startled I'm surprised in a good way and I can kind of absorb that information without having to be conscious of it, which is really good. Um, pretty good. <laughs> Sorry, this sounded egotistical. It's really fun, I should say. It's a really nice feeling to be able to absorb that without having to think about it and just be able to react to it without thinking. So, yeah, we got way off track there, all because I went da 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 uh, uh. Yeah. Now I'm thi- now I'm thinking about all the shit I just said and I can't concentrate on playing. That's uh that's an interesting one in your pra- in my practice routine anyway when that creeps in when there's just too much going on like how in fact I'm going to take the bass off for a second and give myself some distance from it like how do you quiet the noise right that's the big the eternal question maybe that's the eternal life question how do you quiet the noise and um give yourself some peace to operate within like where do you find that peaceful framework and sometimes like just then my brain was just like going over time like cry because i'm thinking about the book and that it's uh, there are actually so many other things going on as well besides that so sometimes it is just not possible i'm sure everyone listening or watching right now has experienced that on some level at some point so uh we are all quite similar like that um And there's no way around it. I think you just have to give yourself a little bit of distance. Like just putting the bass down like this. Really good idea. I might not play at all for the rest of the night now. That might be it. We're sort of heading towards the end of the podcast, almost an hour in here. And maybe that's just it. You know, I used to force the issue a lot more, I think. I think I used to be like, yeah, oh, shit, I don't feel like it. But okay, all right, give me two minutes and let's just get back to it and do another hour. Let's like knock out another hour. And I think that had there, there was some merit to that. I think the 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 willpower to want to get back up that quickly um, and to still – I don't think it was destructive uh, for the most part. Sometimes it was. Sometimes it definitely wasn't the time to play. But um, there was definitely something to be said for having the willpower to get back on the horse right away. I mean, it's like maybe a skateboarder trying to land a trick and just keep falling, 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 falling. And with skateboarding, that shit hurts. Um, not that I know shit about skateboarding. I've just been listening to some Tony Hawk uh, podcast recently, especially as Rodney Mullen was on his podcast. And it's probably a while ago, but I... I got hip to it today and I'm a massive Rodney Mullen fan. So it's nice to hear him talk. This crazy motherfucker goes out at like one o'clock in the morning and skates for three hours every night. Dude is like 50 something. Maybe he's even 60 now. I don't know, but 
Yeah. At least we're not falling down as bass players physically and, and, and really beating up our bodies like that. Um, so yeah, having that willpower, but now in later life, like also not, not later life, midlife, let's say knowing when to be like, okay, let's pump the brakes here. Or maybe this is just enough for today. Maybe I'm at capacity. And also understanding, it's taken me a while to understand that I actually do way more things than just play the bass. Um, I think I romanticize the fact that I'm just a bass player, which of course I'm not and haven't been for a long time. If I just played bass, that would be a very different life. Um, wouldn't have half the freaking camera gear I'm surrounded by right now, that's for sure. I wouldn't be thinking about these lights and how I'm going to diffuse these LEDs above the pedals. Again, if you're not watching on YouTube, you should get in on this. Um, things are slowly creeping towards being sort of a, a, a not not half bad production. Um, I think I'm going to do my first in-person interview on the blue couch here. First one for a really long time. Not that I don't count Chelsea as an in-person interview, but it's kind of more of a cozy chat between husband and wife when she's on a podcast. So it's less of an interview and more of like, actually more of her roasting me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think uh, we're going to hook it up and Marcus Reiter. I got to really ask him about that. Maybe that's the first question. Ask him about the pronunciation, correct pronunciation of his name. Um, he's uh What's it called? Touch guitar, right? I think maybe he plays a little stick as well, but touch guitar. He plays with Tony Levin's stick man. And they're in LA this week playing three nights. So, um, and although we, I was on his podcast and we've spoken and since become actually friends and we, we chat once in a while, we've never actually met in person. That was one of those pandemic, uh, friendships that started. Uh, so it'd be the first time we're meeting in person. It'd be nice to sit down on the couch. Um, and talk about music and I think he has a great perspective on it I shared his the episode of his podcast that was on in the Substack. if you want to go check that out um, yeah so that'll be next week kind of digging doing them once a week Saturday night and uh, dropping them on Sunday mornings let me know how that works for you as always drop questions in the uh, in the comments it's really nice to hear from everyone and I'm getting great ideas for the main channel as well I could do like if I had a production team I could knock out like 10 really cool videos in the next month um, but it's just me <laughs> so it's going to be maybe 10 decent videos over the next 6 months and uh, and we see how it goes it's been very interesting with the YouTube thing I'm really learning a lot I know I say that um, every week but it's really every week I'm learning something new and I had um, old high school friend of Chelsea's, who's now a great filmmaker, come through yesterday and kind of figure out a few things with my setup. So he gave me some lighting tips for the main shot when I'm over there. The podcast thing is kind of, it is whatever. It's a little more dialed in than it was last week even, and it will get better. But for the main shot, when I'm making those like actual films and telling stories and really thinking about editing and lighting and angles and that kind of stuff, he kind of dialed me in, which is nice going to get a b cam actually we're going to retire this camera that i'm on right now to the b cam and get a new one i think maybe the fx30 by sony aps-c sensor but it's a nice cine camera so that could be cool be nice to have a cutaway or motorized slider action definitely getting into the production side of things more and even now i'm like looking around my studio thinking oh yeah we got that things have been improving slowly it's a whole different world 
I could have made this change in like maybe 10 days if I wasn't a dad. So it's a whole different, not that I'm like complaining about being a dad. It's just a whole different set of uh, circumstances within which to try and do this push. And a lot later in my life than uh, most people who are into being on YouTube and are into spending that much time uh, making films while still trying to practice. I'd be interested to know, like, anyone watching and listening, like, who's out there in that kind of predicament? Like, where to focus your time and how do you manage that? And are you a parent? Are you a gigging musician? Are you a studio musician? Um, do you have another gig? You know, like, maybe you even have another creative gig that's, like, in the design or film or photography space. I'd be really interested to hear from people about that like how you how you, how you deal that's that's the bottom line um, I'm having to completely change the way I think about everything which is uh, it's a challenge but it's fun like I'm not complaining about it at all it's just it, it's actually probably really healthy to be under this much stress at this time in a way because it really forces you to get to the point a lot quicker there's way less procrastination when you know you have this tiny window of of uh of time you can put into something it's a real a real motivator which is great i I find myself plotting like that hour i have or that four hours okay daughter's at daycare so i've got like six straight hours there and i can't waste a second of it whilst at the same time trying not to destroy myself, you know, like actually trying to have some form of self-care and, you know, not just get to the edge of the cliff and fall right off from exhaustion. So yeah, amazing time to be, uh, to be working on all this stuff. And let's see hundred thousand subs by April. That's still the goal. I'm going to be a broken record on that. I am on, like I said, right at the beginning an absolute mission. I'm determined to make it work no matter what with the ultimate goal of just being out there and playing music for, for anyone who wants to come and listen. Um, that's, that's my, that's my thing. Um, and it will continue to be for all time, as long as I am able and be awesome. If you were, if you're listening and you were a part of that, it's completely free to subscribe. Uh, as always, it's completely free to leave a review as well on any of those platforms, Spotify and Apple podcasts. I always forget to say that, but it actually really does help, um, push the stuff out there and, and get, get it to a wider audience and like, continue to grow all of these sort of creative outlets that I have. And uh, at the end of the day, that's what keeps me going. Having the functioning creative outlet that isn't mired in the bullshit that sort of Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff was. So I'm not going to get into a deluge about social media. I've talked enough about that, but I will keep saying how, uh, as long as it's true about how much happier I am for not being um, involved with it anymore. So, uh, yeah, appreciate those of you coming over from that and being here on the podcast channel. I'm trying to get more clips up on the clips channel. That one's a little slow right now. Managing three channels at once is not an easy task and I definitely need to scale up and start hiring someone and doing all those kind of things but it's it's moving in the right direction and you guys and girls are very much to thank for that so I thank you and uh, yeah see you all on uh, see you all on the next one later